Riding a motorcycle over rocks presents all kinds of challenges for the rider, and as those rocks get bigger, well, so does the challenge. Today on our exclusive Rider Skills program, we have instructor Sean Thomas, and he's going to be breaking down those rocks, no, not breaking down the rocks, breaking down riding in the rocks into manageable pieces for the average rider, and hopefully changing them from obstacles to overcome to some seriously fun riding. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Manicus, Simon Payton, Simon Pavey, Bill Bragu, Helga Pedersen, Jocelyn Snow, Charlie Borman, Simon Thomas, Grant Johnson, Jimmy Lewis, Elspeth Bayer, John Thomas, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be substitutes for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, almost every rider has at some point ridden rocks on the road, gravel. And and gravel in itself can be challenging, no doubt. It can present many challenges. But gravel is relatively small in size and, and quite uniform. In fact, they're all the same size. That's how they make gravel. But once you get off the beaten path, rock size can vary from small pea size on up to boulders that you either go around or have to ride completely over. So today on our exclusive Rider Skills program, we are riding over and through rocks with Sean Thomas. Sean is well-known in our adventure motorcycle community. He's a BMW brand ambassador, as well as a certified BMW motorcycle instructor. He spent many years teaching off-road riding skills, traveling the world riding, leading tours, and now he spends most of his time giving presentations and riding instructions all over the U.S. So I'm Sean Thomas. Um, I am the brand ambassador for BMW, uh, mostly for the GS, but pretty much for any product that they make. Um, I live in Monterey Bay, California. Sean, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Ah, thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here once again. Are you done for the season? Like, is this your season wrap? Because last time we talked, I think you were traveling around in your RV, first time in this this new RV you've got, or newish RV. I don't know if it's brand new or not. And you were doing the tour sort of around, and, and it sounds like you've been really, really busy. And is this it? Are you sort of done for the season? Yeah, the that tour was was insane. And my plan had been to do the tour. It wrapped up in October, and then I was going to... Uh, hang it up and spend a little time at home, just sort of getting ready for the winter and doing repairs and building and, and doing anything but being um, Mr. Adventure Guy <laughs> for a little while. And what, what ended up happening is that the work just kept flowing in. And I re- literally just got back from my last trip. Um, I was supposed to be done in October. Now I just finished up a couple of days ago. So I am now home and I have grandiose plans to spend the next uh, three weeks doing nothing but being at home and, and being a dad and a, and a husband, but, but 
you know, work is going to come up. It always does. And that's it. After three weeks, then you're back at it. Well, I'm back at it in the sense that I'll be doing work from home. And then I've got the, the tour that I did, the four month tour was, was very successful and uh, enough to where I've been asked to go out and do it again. So it's very likely I'll do two of those tours next year. So starting in March, I think um, I'll get back out on the road and, and bounce around and, and uh, try to take a little time off while the kids are out of school and then go back at it again in the late summer, early fall. Nice. And this tour that you're doing, this is, um, but you're part of a band and a river dance thing, uh, Irish river <laughs> dance or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's operatic <laughs> <laughs> tap dancing <laughs> opera. The, uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, generally I, I, I'm out teaching, um, adventure riding clinics. So I'm getting together with people and teaching off-road riding technique. And then I'm, I'm giving presentations on, you know, what it means to travel and, and how you should prepare yourself and all the little practical elements and telling funny stories about what it's like out there in the in the world and just to generally encouraging people to, to be, to educate themselves and, and also entertaining and inspiring them a bit as I go. So Sean, today we're talking about riding in rocks. What's your relationship to, to rock riding? I think that, uh, rocks have always, <laughs> to use an ironic turn of phrase, it's always been a milestone for me in terms of, <laughs> in terms of where my skills are, because, uh, you know, it's all, you know, if you're going to ride off road, you're going to encounter rocks or gravel or what have you. And, and how you handle it uh, comes down a lot to, you know, what level of skill you've acquired and got confident with. And, and over my years of riding, I've had a lot more failure stories than success stories when it comes to rock gardens and gravel and what have you. But, um, but I've gotten past it. And, and I now as an instructor, you know, see other people on their various um, paths, you know, in terms of where they are as a rider and how they're able to contend with it and, and, um, what their, what their followings out are specifically, there's a, there's a, a trail that I uh, ride, um, that my friends and I have dubbed the adventure to the Valley of death. It's, it's a 40 mile ride and it usually takes us two days to do it. And, um, it, it's very treacherous, aggressive riding. And, and the, the joke between us and people that I take on it is that you will, if you have a boogeyman in adventure riding, you will find it on this stretch of road because there is everything that scares people. There's hill climbs and descents and there's sand and mud and gravel and big treacherous drop-offs and, and inside of big giant slot canyons and, and, you know, hoisting bikes up um, waterfalls with a rope, you know, all the, the craziness that it can occur. Seriously. That's part of, that's part of the trip. You, you've got to hoist them up a waterfall. It, there's, there's one section in particular that sometimes you can ride, ride up it. And other times you get there and there's, it's slick and wet. And when I say waterfall, I don't mean like something you could navigate in a, in a raft. I'm, I'm just talking about, you know, water that's coming out of the ground and going down this very, um, sort of steep enough slope to where if it were dry, you could probably ride up it. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it's wet, it's slick. And when it's slick, there is no doing it. So we have to, um, you know, trudge our way out with ropes and, and attach them to the bikes. And this, this always occurs after one or two of us try to ride it. And, you know, we sort of were the canaries and determined that it can't be done. (laughs) So we hoist them up. But for me, um, that stuff's all part of the fun, but gravel and, and rock gardens, they're always very sketchy for me. I always, and I, even in this case where I've ridden the same courses over and over again, I've been on this trail many, many times. And every time I get to those sections, you know, I have the reaction that, that people have when they're scared of something, you know, like, oh, I feel my body tensing up. And, you know, I start forgetting to do all the right things you're supposed to do when you adventure. Ride <laughs> because it's my boogeyman. It's the, it's the thing that, uh, 
that, uh, that I will always contend with, you know, you mentioned when you said gravel, like I want to talk to you about um, rocks and I go, Oh God, you want to talk to me about the one thing if it's other than mud, you know, <laughs> it's the one thing that I go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, where do you think that rocks sort of land on that ladder, that scale rather of fear for people, you know, because some people have that fear of mud and sand and where do you think rocks fall into that? I, th- I think that, uh, like if I, if I were to rate it, I'd say the number one thing that people are most scared of when I'm teaching is, is hill climbs and descents. Like that's, that's where I see like physical shaking fear out of people. Um, I think that what it sh- should be after that is mud. Although a lot fewer people are afraid of mud than, than they, <laughs> they probably, uh, they're not as afraid of mud as they should be. Cause uh, mud, mud, I think is like that, you know, as soon as I see mud, I go, okay, I got to find a way around this because I'm going to end up on my side if I try to take it on. Um, that's your fear though. That's why you're saying it's that, not as high not, up on the scales. It should yeah. be. <laughs> it gravel was higher for me. It's not, it's not as high as it used to be, but I think that, um, I think that's like hill climbs, sand, gravel, and mud, like in that order, like hill climbs being the worst, um, in people's minds and descent, especially descents, but then sand and gravel are next. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you know, the, when I say gravel, I mean, you know, something slushy or I mean, rock gardens, um, you know, something to that effect. It, although those could probably be subcategorized, but it's, it's a challenge for people and for good reason. It's, it's not easy and doing it right means doing all of the things that you learn to do as a proper adventure writer, right? Cause you have to do it all. Yeah. And sometimes in a, in a counterintuitive way, and that is, uh, it's a real challenge. Well, as far as rocks go today, I don't want to touch on gravel actually, because we've already done graveling and gravel, well, gravel is kind of a lot like sand. I'm not going to make it sound easy because I know it's, it's a real obstacle for a lot of people. The yeah. deeper the gravel, the more difficult kind of want to move up from there though. And look at that gravel that we find on the, the secondary roads when you get off the beaten path. So mm-hmm. everything really up from gravel. And, and I have to point out that the, the one thing in my mind with gravel is that it's all the same size. Hmm. You know, and, and that sort of makes it easy because it's or not easier. Boy, again, I got to be careful yeah. making this out because it's not easy, but it's not as unpredictable as riding through those baseball size, mm. watermelon size, or the rocky trails with the ledges, things like that, where you get yeah. into a lot more difficult terrain and, and also rocks underwater. Well, yeah, that stuff's really rough. And and typically what I, what I think we transition to when we go from gravel to rocks is, is things that don't tend to move when we hit them. You know, uh, gravel will sort of slush and slosh out of your way and, and you kind of carve a path through it where rocks and rock gardens, they don't tend to move so much. You know, you're usually kind of, uh, they're moving you, you're mm-hmm. going up and over them or you're being manipulated around them like it or not. And uh, what an interesting combination of skills it takes to do it right. And the advantages and disadvantages you face when you're in it, you know, that the great thing about rocks is that if you do get hung up, even if you're a short rider, chances are there's probably rocks that are high enough now to where it's really easy for you to put your feet down. If you, you know, can step on them as you work your way through and you're going to need to, because traversing that stuff without having to dab is uh, very, very difficult, if not impossible in some cases. Before we get into the skills, I sort of want to touch on bike prep and, and just talk about um, the things that you, you may or may not do for your bike to go into rocks. Now, are, are there any things you do that, that um, are particular to riding in rocks? I think that the, the preparing your bike ahead of time, the first thing you're going to hear that you don't hear as often when you're going through something like a rock garden is you're going to hear things banging off your skid plate. 
and, uh, you know, it was a very vulnerable part of any motorcycle is that area. And, um, stock skid plates that come on most motorcycles are inadequate for really heavy rocks. And, and the, the reality is they're usually the stock stuff is fine for most people because most people don't do that stuff. You know, when they go off road, they're doing fire roads and things are pretty well graded and you could take a Toyota Corolla over what they're riding most of the time. But when you get into rock gardens, all, all bets are off. So I think if I know I'm going, the first thing I do is make sure I've got a really robust plate on the bike and on anything that's on the undercarriage of the bike that's susceptible to getting, you know, punched or damaged. Um, beyond that, I, I think uh, tire pressure becomes really important because the um, sometimes riding through rocks means you do have to wick it up and, and to try to get the, the wheel up and over obstacles that you, um, that require a not, I'm not going to say speed. I'm going to say a little momentum. And, uh, if you don't time it right, uh, man, you can smack really hard on against your rim and ha having just a little air out of your tire to allow it to squish and absorb some of that impact before it gets transferred to your rim and runs the risk of damaging it. It's not, won't sol solve every problem, but it solves a lot of them. Hey, what about crash bars? Yeah, the, um, the, the crash bars, of course, um, because if you're going to ride in a rock garden, you know, tip overs just become an absolute, it's going to, it's really a question of when and not if. So engine protection bars. And, and for me, it's, you know, there's really two types of engine bars are the ones that just protect the motor from catastrophic damage. And then there's others that are protrude out enough to where if the bike tips, um, it kind of holds more of the bike off the ground when it falls over. And there, there's benefits to each and disadvantages to each. But I, when it comes to rock gardens, I think engine bars are a really good idea. And the ones that protrude out far enough to help keep the bike, but not so far out that you're getting hung up on the very boulders and rocks you're trying to get around, you know, and finding that balance is tough. Anything else? Um, tires, I think is the, I'm a big proponent of just dual sport tires. I, I don't tend to recommend knobbies for most situations, but um, there is definitely a benefit in rock gardens where, you know, a big grippy knobby grabbing a hold and bringing you through is helpful. It doesn't mean that it's it has to be plenty of bikes have gone through without that advantage, but it does, it is helpful. It, it takes a little bit of the pressure and the work out of your body to have that with you. You say you're, you're more for a, a dual sport tire. Yeah, absolutely. What is that? <laughs> it's a controversial belief. We're going to take just a quick break, but stick around because when we come back, well, actually, I don't, I don't know what we're talking about when we come back, but stay with us anyway, because we've got a lot more fun with Sean coming up. Well, I'm sure just like you, I appreciate quality, especially with things that are important to me. And when it comes to riding, I want things that are quality. I don't want a lot of things, but the things that I do want, I want quality because I don't want to wonder if or when they're going to fail. Atlas Throttle Lock has nailed it. I mean, nailed it when it comes to quality. They have a stunningly designed throttle lock that fits any bike. You can easily switch it between bikes so you don't have to, to let it go if, if you decide to sell your bike. The Atlas Throttle Lock is machined from metal. Like, it feels great, but more importantly, when you mount it on your bike, it works extremely well. It works so well that you'd swear that it was OEM, or maybe, like I keep saying, better than OEM. It, it's it's a it's a work of art. It looks like something you see on a one-off, ex, like exclusive bike. You know, one of those really high-end bikes that that uh, the only people with a lot of money buy. It's like that sort of quality. 
It's got two buttons on it, one for engage, one for disengage, and it works so smooth. It's really kind of changed the way I've used a throttle lock. Um, I, I've always had throttle locks, but I've, I've used them intermittently and I found them, you know, a fiddle thing that you had to mess with all the time. This thing works so smooth. Uh, it's just one of those, those products that you buy, you put it on there and you forget about it other than you use it to enjoy the ride. Do yourself a favor. You got Christmas coming up. This is a small package. It can easily fit into your stocking and hardly be noticed. Treat yourself to something that you're going to enjoy each time you ride your bike and you can appreciate the quality in this. AtlasThrottleLock.com. These are, this company is owned, and the whole thing is designed by owned and run by motorcyclists, people just like you that have the same desires as you, quality parts for their bikes. AtlasThrottleLock.com is a website and throw in there anytime you're dealing with them that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. See and be seen. That's the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports, a family-owned business of motorcycle riders that design and manufacture all kinds of lighting products for motorcycles, also ATVs, bicycles, and, and more. They have stunning auxiliary lights for the bike. They have CAN bus system application sets for BMWs and other kinds of bikes. LED headlight replacements, and these are beautifully made, and most importantly, super bright. Now, I can talk from experience because I've tried their products, um, like their Evo Safety turn signal inserts, which um, turn your, your turn signals into super bright driving lights in the front, as well as super bright uh, turn signals. And on the back, they become brake lights. I have them on my bike, uh, as well as turn signals on the back. These are stunningly bright. Um, when you step on the brakes uh, on, on this now with my bike, I, I notice it commands attention that only LED can do and only a super bright LED. And the thing is with this system is they've made them absolutely waterproof. Like the, the inserts are waterproof because your signals are not waterproof. And that's one of those small things that make all the difference. That's quality for you. That's when you know the company really cares about their products. The uh, website is cyclopsadventuresports.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Cyclopsadventuresports.com. You know, you use them every time you get on, every time you get off your bike, every time you ride down the highway, every time you ride a dirt road, and particularly every time you stand. Yes, I'm talking about your foot pegs. That's your major contact point for your motorcycle. Don't skimp. This is an area where you want the best. You want to look at IMS products. IMS products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs, everything from their super wide ADV1 and ADV2 pegs on down to their core enduro pegs. They've got a peg that will suit your style, that will add some leverage and control and certainly traction for your feet to your ride. It's one of the most, one of the best improvements I think you can do to your bike. And it's kind of interesting because it doesn't seem like a real exciting one. Believe me, when you put them on your bike, like I found, it's a huge difference. It's night and day. IMSproducts.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. You say you're you're more for a, a dual sport tire? Yeah, absolutely. What is that? <laughs> it's a controversial belief uh, that, that his, uh, as I've been challenged on it, it's just made me believe in it more. But, but I have found that, especially for new riders, there's a lot of problems that Nobbies solve, but most of those problems can also be solved with good riding technique. And I think it's far more important that a rider learns the technique 
before they risk using the knobby as a crutch and think I have to have this in order to go off road. That's not true. There are circumstances that knobbies are really the only way to go, but for a new rider, I don't think it's necessary. I think new riders would benefit from having a tire that drifts a little more so that they can learn to move their bodies and compensate for that. It makes them better riders in the long run. Um, but you know, if, if I'm putting somebody on an advanced ride and anything that has a rock garden is going to be an advanced ride, then I'm going to recommend knobbies that, you know, I'm not going to turn them away if they don't have them, if they have the skill, but that's a good idea. So, okay. So let, let's look at the rock sizes now. So if we're, um, there, is there a difference in how you teach somebody to ride like a baseball size rock as opposed to like a melon size rock yeah, and, I, and even the smaller stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that when, when you're dealing with something that's baseball sized, generally speaking, you can get away with going over the top of, of some rocks that size, not all of them. Of course, you're still going to have to try to pick a line that maneuvers your way through them. If you know, around them, if you can, but you're not, te- you don't tend to get hung up to the point where a, a tire at um, either at a crawl or at a moderate speed couldn't go over the top of some of those. Um, if you do it right, where once they get bigger than that, then it becomes less about being able to get over the top of it and more about having to, you absolutely have to pick a line that allows you to maneuver around those and start paying attention to the fact that there's other delicate parts of your bike that are going to start scraping against those as you go around them. So you go from, this is something you can do on your pegs, you do on a, uh, bike, you know, softball size stuff. Sometimes you can stay on your pegs as long as you can to, okay, now you're probably going to get your way in a few, a little ways and you're going to end up stalling out and you're going to have to put your feet down. And then it becomes a game of knowing how to use your clutch within its limits and work your way through. What are some of the concepts that, that we need to understand for this sort of riding? Um, can you maybe just walk us through that? Yeah. So, you know, the, the key here is angular momentum, I think. So, you know, the, the faster the wheels are spinning, the more um, leeway you have in terms of bringing the bike off of its center. So when you're going through rocks and you're having to steer and work your way through and the bike is leaning from side to side, if you have just a little bit of angular momentum, if the wheels are continuously spinning, then it allows the bike to lean further. And with minimal input of your body, you can balance the bike as it leans from side to side. But as that speed diminishes, you get to a point when it's really going really slow, then your balance point becomes a lot narrower. So your ability to stay on the pegs and shift your weight from side to side, if you can do it, it becomes much more critical. The movements have to be far more exaggerated. And you know, there's a level of resistance to the steering. You know, if you hit a rock, of course, it's going to want to make the wheel turn as you're riding through it. And you have to give enough resistance to the wheel to keep it generally on the course you want to go, but allow a lot enough movement of the wheel to where it can bounce and you can shift your weight and steer it back and forth to get around and maneuver it through. So you're talking about the handlebars. So there's the handlebars, handlebars. Being pulled back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose that nobody calls it the wheel these days. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, not as much anyway. That's what I yeah, hear. <laughs> sure. So I think that, uh, helping, you know, the, I can usually tell how somebody's going to do in gravel as I watch them do things like turning drills, because I get a sense of how much they're comfortable moving their body around on a bike. And that becomes so critically important when you're in a, in a situation like this, where the bike is going to be uh, pitched from side to side without any warning at all at times, especially if, for example, in a water crossing and you have to be able to, if you want to keep it upright, you have to be able to shift your weight and steer in order to maintain it. And if you can't keep your weight upright, you have to be able to keep 
have the weight of the bike secured enough to where when you throw your feet down, you're not off balance and going to lose the bike and have a tip. So it all comes down to uh, being able to shift the bike, being able to offer as much input as needed into the steering, into the handlebars in order to steer, uh, you know, maneuver the bike around, but not so much resistance to where you're, you know, hitting rocks and, and having the, trying to keep the wheel straight when there's just absolutely no way it's going to happen. So you're talking inertia and balance. Those, those are the two, you know, important concepts that you sort of got to get your head around to begin with. Yeah. And, and, you know, the two tie together because the, you can't always go through a rock garden with inertia and it's great if you can, but you know, what, what are the risks now? You know, if I'm going through it, a, a good clip, then first of all, my ability to pick a line that minimizes damage to my wheel becomes really curtailed. And second of all, if I am going at a good clip and I hit something hard enough to knock me out of whack, it could mean a pretty substantial dead off. And, um, but the benefits on the other hand is if I can keep my speed up, then it's much easier to keep the bike balanced. I can use much less movement of my body in order to keep the bike maintained, but that's not always possible. So if we go to doing it slow, which is also absolutely possible to do it slow, but now we run into a whole new host of issues. We, the keeping the bike upright and balanced becomes far more difficult because the bike is crawling along, crawling along the ability to keep it upright and balanced becomes more acute and its ability to tip over when you hit a rock and have it knock you out of whack. It's the chances of it falling are higher. So I, I would not go to anybody and say, there's only one way to do it. I would go to them instead and say, if, if you have the ability to do it this way, you know, with speed, these are the type of positions you need to find your body in and where you need to look and how you need to manage the clutch and throttle. If you have to go through slow, then everything changes and this is how you do it instead. Okay. Can, can we start there with, with body position then? Maybe sure. starting at the feet and sort of go up through the knees, hips, shoulders, arms, yeah. hands, sort of and end up in the eyes. So, um, most adventure riders that have been at it for a little while have, have, have heard the phrase attack stance. And, you know, really there's, there's three positions you can be on on a bike. Yeah. You can be sitting down if you have the skill um, standing up in a casual place. And then the attack stance is, is a really interesting one because now in the attack stance, you're on the balls of your feet on the, against the pegs instead of say the arches of your feet and your knees are bent more than they would normally be, which creates a little more fatigue, but it allows for more acute balance of the bike. And then typically you take the palm of your hand, the outside palm, and put it on the bar end weight of the bike. And then that allows you to offer steering input to the bike without directly affecting the throttle. So you're able to stick your hand outside of your palms on the outside of the bar end weight. It typically means your elbows are poked out a little bit. This allows you a lot of lower and upper body maneuverability. So you can move laterally, you can move forward and backward. So those are the physical characteristics of that, but there's a mental element to it as well. You know, when you pull the attack stance out of your pocket, it is you preparing for something that is difficult for you. And you're saying, I'm coming up on something that's hard and this is scares me and this is intense. And this is the kind of thing that makes these bikes tip, but I'm prepared for it. I'm putting myself in this position. I'm ready to maneuver this bike absolutely acutely. And I'm remembering to look where I want to go. I'm minding my speed and my clutch and throttle control. And, and that mental, putting yourself in that position and getting yourself in that mental state is really, really helpful, regardless of how you take on something like a rock garden. You know, I tell people in any lesson we're teaching, I said, you know, you're going to come up across something as we're training together that's going to scare you. It's very common. Now, what that's going to be, it depends on you. Some people are scared of hill climbs. Some people are scared of 
gravel or even straight flat roads or grass, you know, but when you find yourself in that situation where you are intimidated, this is answer number one is the attack stance. This is you getting yourself ready to contend with what may come in this. So that's step one. We're get into the attack stance, get your body ready, make a physical effort to limber yourself and be comfortable and take a couple deep breaths and sort of tell yourself like, I got this, I can do this. Let's, let's take this on. And that's, that's really common with everything, isn't it? Everything we do on the bike, if you, you can have the technical skills, you can go to a course, take the course and, and learn how to do whatever it is that you're trying to do. And, but if you go in, you find it in the real world and you stiffen up, that's when everything goes wrong. Yeah. And it's also why we're here. I want that feeling. I, I want to be scared. You know, in the moment, <laughs> in the moment I'm saying, I'm asking myself, what have I got myself into? But you know, when, when I, when I find myself up against an obstacle that, that causes me that anxiety, that's the story I tell around the campfire later. That's the part of it that I remember. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm out here doing. If it wasn't for that, then what would this sport be for me? And I think a lot of people feel that way. You know, we need those moments of fear. Well, I think it's a really good point because I think a lot of times we think that we're not supposed to have that. It's very common to think that you should be going calm and cool through it. But then, like you say, where's the thrill? Yeah. You know? and, and I, that, that mentality, you know, and I will continue to fight against that mentality as long as I draw breath in this industry. I, I can't stand the notion of the no fear t-shirt. Like, no, no, I need that. I want that. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. It's scary. Sometimes that fear makes me turn back, makes me not do something. And, and I might be proud of myself for that too. Like, Hey, I had an opportunity to go and get myself in over my head and I didn't do it, but fear is what brought me there. And mm-hmm. that is, that's, that's good stuff. So, and sometimes that fear means that I've had to swallow my, I had a, a event I did for BMW Germany and they, they put me on a brand new bike, which is as of yet to be released and said, okay, we need you to climb this incredible hill climb, you know? And, uh, and we're going to film you. And I looked at it and I said, I, I honestly, I don't think I can do this. Like that's, that might be over my head. And, and the look of disappointment in the eyes of these people that were there to film me doing it. And I said, I, I can't do it. You know? And they said, well, you're, you're like the adventure guy. And I go, yeah. And I've made it to this point in my career because I don't make, I don't make uh, take risks that I don't think I can get through. Like, so I, I can't, you know, and it, it, it stung for my ego to be able to say that, but, it, but looking back on it, I'm really glad I did because we have to be able to know our limits. And, you know, sometimes we know them so we can push against them. Sometimes we know them so that we don't. So, okay. So we've talked about the body position, the attack position. Are there some tips you can give to how we handle the bike? Uh, And then we'll talk about the different size of rocks. Sure. So, you know, the the first thing that's going to come up is, is we're going to try to pick the line that has the least resistance, of course. Right. So typically in any rock garden, if the rocks are solid, um, and in place and they're, they're immovable, then we're going to try to find a line that allows us to maneuver around the worst of them as best we can. So in that instance, you know, clutch control and throttle control become absolutely critical because we have to be able to inch the bike around um, at, at enough of a clip to, you know, as the we, the faster the wheels spin, the better that we're able to stay balanced. So we try to maintain a speed that allows for good balance, but allows us to still yank the wheel around. And, and to do that, while you're in that attack stance, we have to be limber. We have to be light. We have to allow for our bodies to shift laterally and forward and back in order to maintain balance of the bike and maintain our balance as the bike bounces and bumps around that stuff. So that's number one. I think um, once 
once we're in that place, then listening to the bike becomes critical in these things because, you know, there's a point when you're, you're, you're riding through rock gardens and you're typically having to feather the clutch. And when you're having to do that, throttle position becomes really important because if you allow the throttle to get too high and you're there trying to feather the clutch as you work your way around a difficult patch, then you start burning your clutch. So, so typically what I'll tell somebody that's new is like, you know, I'll have them bring the RPMs up to, you know, say 2,500 or 3000 RPM. And I'll say, just listen to the sound of the bike right now. Don't look at the RPMs, just listen to the tone. And when they do, I say, now that tone is, is your key tone. Like you need the bike to be at or a little below that tone. You can't let it get higher than that. If it gets too high and you're still trying to work the clutch, then you're going to damage the bike. But you obviously can't look down and stare at your RPM gauge the whole time, right? You got other stuff to do. So I'm typically encouraging riders to stay loose, pick their line. And once they've got their line, look ahead and, and be mindful of the sound that the bike is making as they work their way through. When you say feather the clutch, you're, you're, you're talking about slipping clutch. Yeah, slipping clutch. So, you know, working your way within the friction zone. So if you typically at a like rock garden, when the rocks are really solid and you can't, they won't move as you hit them. You, if you're going fast enough to where your clutch is completely engaged, then you're probably going too fast. Yeah. Cause it's very difficult to maneuver around um, obstacles at that kind of speed. So you typically have to find yourself in a position where you're pulling in the clutch, disengaging it from the motor to scrub off a little bit of speed as you maneuver around the tighter spots. So as you're doing that, you have to be really mindful of ensuring that you're not uh, also working the throttle so hard that as you're engaging and disengaging the clutch that you're damaging it. Okay. What's next? So I think the inevitability when you're going through a rock garden is that you're going to find yourself in a situation where the bike gets pitched off of center and you're riding along, you hit an obstacle, it kinks the wheel in one direction or another, and it makes the bike start to tip. And there's a, a point when that tip occurs where if you're quick and the tip isn't too much, you can throw your weight to the opposite side of the bike and keep it balanced while you keep your way up. It's absolutely critical is staying loose so that you can make that movement and also looking far, far ahead so that as you're making that movement, you're still focused on trying to connect with the line that is going to get you through. But there's a critical moment because as you're scrubbing off speed and the bike gets kinked and it starts to tip, you have to be ready to catch it because, uh, you know, at those very low speeds, as the bike starts to tip off of center. It's, it's going to want to keep going unless you can get a foot down quick, you know, and throwing a foot down on a rocky surface is tough. It might mean you have to let the bike go. So, you know, where do you find that balance where you've got just enough speed to allow the bike to glide and throw your weight around to keep it balanced versus you've scrubbed off so much speed that as you start to tip, you got to throw your foot down. So I'm typically myself and I'm trying to explain to others, you know, you got to be ready for both. You got to be ready to put a foot down when the time comes. And it's not a big deal. You know, if you do, if you can find a spot to throw it down on an uneven surface, you'll be okay. And be able to throw your weight to keep it balanced as you go. Now, what about braking? I mean, we're not doing much braking in rock gardens, really, yeah. are we? Not a whole bunch because we're moving so slow. Matter of fact, it's probably the last thing we want to do is, is stop the bike. Yeah. Downhills, yeah. Yeah. I think so, uh, that, you know, braking on, on the flat surfaces is, is almost not necessary because uh, typically you're riding with so much resistance against the bike that just if you need to scrub off speed, just the act of pulling in the clutch is usually enough to make it go down. And when, when you're doing downhills, it's, you know, it's a little trickier because 
we of course don't want to pick up any unnecessary speed. You know, that the joke we always use in downhills of anything is you can do everything wrong and you'll still end up at the bottom. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but in a rock garden, that can be a very painful uh, descent. So like an answer for me is if I have enough downhill and I'm going through a rock garden, there is something um, some of you have ridden in, in, uh, in Death Valley called Mangle Pass. And it's, it's very much like it sounds it's a very rocky descent and, and for me, it's very typical for me to turn off the bike and use the clutch as a brake and use my feet and just nimble maneuver my way down around these baby head rocks as I go. Because I don't, what I don't want to do is pick up so much speed that I'm on top of them and really going at a good clip on a downhill because it's just too easy for that speed to get away from me. Mm, and that's one of the worst, isn't it, really, with dealing with rocks is when you get to the hills. Yeah. The, and, and there's, there's such a mental element to it as well, especially in a descent, you know, where you're going down a steep hill and it's really rocky and you're feeling the handlebars getting kicked back and forth around b- below you. And you're trying to maintain, and in the body, you know, we get more tense, you know, we start focusing too close to the front of the bike and everything just starts to fall apart, you know, and while all that is happening, typically we're exacerbating our speed, you know? So when we finally do have an unscheduled dismount, it's, it's a hard one. So I say, don't, don't be a hero <laughs> on the downhill, just turn off the bike, put it in first gear and, and noodle your way down nice and easy and, and live to fight the next, uh, next set of obstacles. You're a BMW guy trained, trained by BMW. Now I know the really into front braking only downhill mm-hmm. is, does that still stand for going down a loose rocky hill? Well, I think that the, the issue with the rear is that when new riders apply the rear brake on a downhill and they apply so much that it locks and they start feeling the bike drifting laterally, people panic. And in that panic, I find they tend to apply more brake, um, which, which does nothing. It does nothing. Yeah. And now the bike is pitched sideways and they're coming down and they're picking up speed and you can just see the tension building in their body. And, you know, somewhere along the line, they were told that the front brake will kill you. So they didn't, they don't use it. And that's just not true. So that doesn't mean that there's not a use for the rear brake. It just means that the front brake on a downhill is, is where all of your, you know, most of your braking power is going to be. And that, that applies to things like rock as well. Um, that the issue is, is that if you're going over rocks that are big enough, I mean, your tires literally leaving the ground at times, you know, so you're trying to apply the front brake on the downhill and it's bouncing back and forth off, you know, you're only getting braking power in the moments that that tire is touching something. And that sometimes can't be that often. So, um, that, that problem is exacerbated by the fact that you need to brake in the first place. You know, you're probably going too fast to begin with. I like that though. You're saying, don't be a hero. I mean, if it seems like too much, it probably is. It really the stupidest things I've ever done on an adventure bikers because I've ridden with somebody that's way better than me. And it just glide through some obstacle in some way that I go, wow, that is really cool. And of course I think to myself, well, I can't get off my bike now and push it through, <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got to do it. And uh, so I go, and sometimes that means that I make through something that I didn't think I could, but, uh, but a lot of times and times I, I don't tend to share publicly, um, that means that I end up, you know, staring at the sky, you know, and, and with a rung <laughs> bell and feeling like an idiot. <laughs> that's Fun. code for crash <laughs> right <laughs> so when it comes to these, these different size rocks whether it's baseball or or um you're saying baby head i hate that term <laughs> baby, head, baby head rocks but but okay so um larger rocks and as they get bigger is there a common approach to this whole thing or is it different for each size rock 
you know, the, regardless of the size of the rock, the first thing I'm looking for is the path with the least resistance. Yeah. And sometimes that's a really meandering path that goes, you know, left and right and center uh, back and forth around it. But that's typically number one. I find that for me and for most people, it, I don't go into it assuming that I'm going to be able to get all the way from A to B with both feet on the pegs, perfectly balanced, like somewhere along the line, I'm going to get pitched out of whack or I'm going to stall out or I'm going to hit, you know, I'm going to hit a rock hard enough to where I don't go over it the way I expected to. And the bike is going to get knocked out of whack. And I'm going to have to contend with that. So typically what I do is I go into the obstacle knowing that somewhere along the line, I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to put my feet down and I'm going to have to noodle my way through slowly. So knowing that that's probably in my immediate future, I pick my speed and I pick my body position accordingly. That is to say, I know the feet are going down somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're kind of preparing to fail though, aren't you? I'm preparing to change tactics. Mm, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I'm going into it knowing that, you know, I can only allow momentum to carry me so far through this, that the turns are too tight. The rocks are too intense. And, uh, you know, there's probably riders out there that can do it in one go without stopping and, and good for them. And, and maybe that'll be me today. And I'll be in a position to where if I do it, I'll, I'll pull it through, but it's not a big deal if I have to put a foot down and deal with it. So maybe I decide, you know, is there a spot halfway through or a third of the way through that I can make it to and then get going again? You know, I take a break and reassess. You just mentioned starting again. That's got to be the worst in rocks. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that, that gets you the worst in rocks is that typically the thing that stopped you is some hump of rock that gets hung up on your front or rear tire that just arrests your momentum and you got to throw a foot down. Well, that rock is still there when you want to get started again. Sometimes it's immovable, which means you either have to very delicately get the bike over it, or you have to drag the bike around it or, you know, scissor the handlebars enough to get the bike moved around, you know, all the different things that can happen. And and that's where I find the big issue comes in with people with rocks to get frustrated. You know, they're hung up on something. So they start, you know, trying to rock the bike and work in the clutch and the throttle really hard and it's usually a point when I come up and go, Hey, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You know, you're, you're, you're running the clutch and throttle together in a way that's going to burn out your clutch. Let's just take a breath and, and come up with a plan. So what would the plan be? Do you at that point figure, okay, if you can't get it going, get off the bike, walk beside it. Um, or are you always about getting the bike rolling again? Yeah. It depends on how patient you are. I think the, mm. the best way to do it for me, I think if I'm really hung up in a, in a spot that I, I'm having a rough go and I've got to get the bike out. I might start by taking everything off of it. You know, I'm probably carrying 70 pounds worth of gear between, um, you know, all the equipment that I have to carry in order to fix everybody else's bike in addition to mine and all my camping gear and all my eating gear and all that stuff. So if I've got the time and I'm interested in, in doing it in a way that minimizes the effect on me, I might pull that stuff off. I don't usually, but I've had people that do. Um, you know, that especially a lot of the female riders I ride with where they're riding these monster bikes and, and it's like, you know, I'm just there, you know, saying like, I'm, this wears me out. It's easy. It takes me 30 seconds to pull these bags off and set them aside and then get the bike through and go. Yeah. That's so, smart. That might be one. The, the other big one is, you know, this is so important about riding with other people is, is getting some help. You know, the, um, I, I can straddle the bike and I can get it moving forward again, but it might mean I have to get over something that's got a big hump somewhere and having somebody behind the bike to give it a push. And contrary to what we all personally believe about not wanting to bother anybody else we're riding with, everybody wants to help everybody else. So 
<laughs> if, if you just go like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm kind of hung up here. Can you give me a go? Like, you know, people are happy to do it in exchange for a beer later. <laughs> or delays their inevitable crossing of the same stretch. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and they're not, you know, they're not ashamed to ask you back. Yeah. I, I think especially as a guide, it's a good idea to, to show that, Hey man, you know, I don't expect to do everything on my own. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's okay to, to have help from the team. When we're talking about getting going again, that, that's, I'm interested in talking about that for just a second, if you will. Sure. That, that's a really difficult thing to do. And, and, and sometimes what happens is people get so, um, worried, so scared about what they're doing. They may have the skill to do it, but they get so worried, they panic and they stop. And I know the times that I've done that, I could kick myself and I always stop in the worst spot. Matter of fact, the spot that I've scoped out to begin with thinking, well, I don't want to stop there. And (laughs) and that'll be the, 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 the spot that I find myself in. Getting going is really, really difficult. Do you have any tricks for that? I think the, uh, and for me, it's always hitting something that I told myself, that's exactly what I want to avoid. Like I need to be away from that thing. And and then I run right the hell into it. And and then getting going again is that much more exasperating because I'm in my mind, I'm telling myself, you just made exactly the mistake you said you didn't want to make. And what a dummy, you know? And Mm -hmm. and so I'm kicking myself. And and if I'm in that mindset and I'm still trying to get through it, um, then I'm, I'm probably going to make another mistake. You know, the, the other mindset is that, you know, I've got people behind me and they all want to get through here and they're toe tapping me and, and I'm hanging everybody up. So I want to go. And, and I think the the most important thing we can do is remind ourselves that we cannot be in that headspace when we get going again, because that's the headspace that's going to exacerbate the mistake and make it make future mistakes come. If we can just take 30 seconds and shake ourselves off and assess we're far better off. So what I try to make myself do when I get stuck in the middle is if I can do it, get off the bike, just take a quick look around, you know, roll my shoulders a little bit, stuff a piece of cliff bar in my mouth and just take a breath. And then and as I assess, and that might mean that I, from another perspective, I'm able to move the bike a little bit. Okay. I've got this giant rock, but if I move the rear tire six inches over and I, by dragging it a bit, I can, I can get around, you know, around it instead of over it. Um, and uh, that more than anything else, you know, there's no, there's no magic bullet for getting through, but I think more than anything else to find your way through in your situation, you have to do it with a clear head. What, what are the, your top tips then for approaching and, and getting through rocks? So th- the first is that anytime you see an obstacle and rocks is typically it for a lot of people. Anytime you see an obstacle coming up, there's going to be a moment that you just go through a panic stage where you go, oh shit. <laughs> and you know, it's coming and you've got to get yourself past that stage. And a big key to that is seeing it as far ahead as possible. So, you know, knowing that you've got to keep your eyes up and, and find those things that are really challenging for you really early on you cite them, you go through that moment of going, ah, okay, I'm a little, this is intimidating to me. What you don't want to have happen is come, you know, have be in a place where you're not looking far enough ahead and you come up on those rocks and you're still in that stiffened panic stage right as you enter them. So I'll typically tell people like, if you see it far enough ahead, you know, you're going to feel that little flutter of butterflies, you know, and you got to have that moment come. You got to shake it off. If that means you need to stop and, and, and put your feet down and shake your shoulders. And, and then that's what you do. The number, number two is if I'm going to stay in motion, I'm going to put myself in the attack stance. So 
I'm getting my weight down. I'm getting ready to slide my weight laterally forward and back in order to keep the bike balance as I go through. And then, you know, we're trying to find the line of least resistance. So if, if we can find that as we're approaching it, great. We're in the attack stance. We've got, you know, a low speed that's just above where we would, um, you know, where we would have to be feathering the clutch to keep momentum. So the clutch is out, but the bike is not going terribly fast. And we're entering, trying to follow the line that's least resistance, knowing that there's a good possibility that something's going to knock you enough out of whack that we're going to have to put a foot down. So you're staying loose. You're easing your way in on that path of least resistance, being ready to put a foot down if you have to safely, where you're not going to get hung up on the bike or have a tip on the top of you. And it's, it's really the best you can do. Can I ask you to do a, um, just a, a recap of how you would ride through the rocks? Just a, a quick one. You talk about body position and approach and riding through. Yeah. So you're coming up on a rock garden. You know, number one is you need to recognize what it is. And, and sometimes this means that you're going to experience a little bit of fear and uh, like, ah, oh, geez, uh, I hate man, this is tough stuff. You need to let yourself get through that process because when we are, you know, we have that first reaction to something, we don't want to be entering it as we're reacting that way. We want to have a chance to put our heads in the right place. So that's number one. Number two is I call it the attack stance. So get yourself in a body position that allows for maximum maneuverability of the bike. That typically means being on the balls of your feet on the pegs. It means being able to throw your weight forward, backward, and side to side um, on instinct. So as the bike pitches and rolls, you're able to compensate for it. Um, you're going to um, pick a line as best you can that's going to minimize how many rocks you're going to bang yourself into. You're going to hit them, but try to find the line that allows for that. And go in with enough momentum to allow you to glide into the rock garden, knowing that somewhere along the line, a tight maneuver or getting hung up on a rock is going to mean that you have to get down off the pegs and get your feet down and you're going to stall out. That is all okay. You can handle that. It, you know how to get a bike off from a stop and don't think that you have to go through every rock garden with enough momentum to glide over it and, and, you know, smash your way through. It's not necessary. If you can make it through on your pegs, great. If you have to put your feet down and dog paddle your way through, that's totally okay too. As far as, um, as far as practicing, getting ready to ride rock gardens, do you have any sort of suggestions for that? I mean, is, is there anything that we can do other than expose ourselves to the real deal? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the best lesson that we can teach ourselves is, um, low speed maneuvering. So what I typically will have people do to prepare them for most things they will contend with off-road is put their bike in a um, a continuous circle and ride as tight as you can. And you're feathering the clutch, um, you're feathering the throttle and you're making the bike crawl around and you're making a tighter and tighter circle. And what that forces you to do is it forces you to know how to, where to look. It forces you to shift your weight way to the outside of the bike and find balance points as the bike is maneuvering at really low rates of speed. And then when everybody has one direction, they turn because everybody turns one way better than the other. So they'll, <laughs> If you're, a, if you like left turns, then people will make continuous circles going to the left. And then I'll tell them that you got to do it to the right too. Like, I know you don't like going to the right, but you have to. So go to the left, go to the right, start doing figure eights where you have to change your body position constantly as you're changing directions of the bike and then do it off camber 
where you're now making continuous circles where you're going up on a really mild hill and now you're going to have to contend with clutch and throttle on the way up and braking on the way down. And, and what happens is as you're constantly drilling in this very simple manner, you're employing the things that you need to get through something like a rock garden. Because rock gardens require you to have that clutch and throttle control. You have to be able to throw your body forward, back and side to side instinctively and a lot. You can't just be a tiny little shoulder movement. You have to be able to really throw your weight around. And doing that simple practice forces you to learn how to do that. It's back to basics. It really is what is. it is, isn't it? I mean, that's just such an easy thing you can do. You can do it anywhere in a parking lot or whatever. And if you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, I have done this actually uh, a lot. And, I, and I'm sure anybody watching would think, well, nobody's around, but if, if anybody's watching, they'd think, what is he doing? You know, and, and sometimes you drop it too. Like, you know, when you're doing this and you're trying to get tighter and slower and yeah. tighter and slower, but it, it's, um, it's those basics that gets us through all of this stuff. Yeah. And we, you know, we think that if we buy a 20,000 plus dollar motorcycle and we spend a lot of money on training that there needs to be something far more complicated that we do in order to, (laughs) but that's the reality. That's what it takes. Now, learning how to do those things and do them right takes a good coaching. It takes good practice. It takes, you know, it's, it's a perishable skill. Um, But once you have those down, it will help you contend with 80 plus percent of the things that you'll deal with in an off-road environment, including gravel and rocks. Now, the intimidation factor, you know, having the wheel yanked out from under, or the, excuse me, having the handlebars, you know, yanked around as you ride through a rock. That's just something you can't contend with in a training environment easily. And that's something you'll have to deal with. But the fundamental elements that you employ to deal with it are the same. Mm-hmm. I know when you're saying wheel, you're talking about the front wheel, but, but of course people expect you to talk about the handlebars instead of the front wheel. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's accused me of, of speaking accurately when it comes to the different parts of the bike. What's moving. <laughs> that's okay. As long as you know what you're talking about and we can figure it yeah. out, that's just fine. Sean, that was great fun as always. Thank you very much. Yeah, Jim. Hey, I really appreciate you and, and what you do for us in the community. So thanks very much for having me and, and thanks for doing what you do, man. It's, it's badass. That was Sean Thomas from his home in sunny California. If you'd like to catch up with Sean, you can do that next year. He's going to be at BMW dealers all over the U.S. All you have to do apparently is just contact your BMW dealer and ask to have Sean come and do a presentation. I think the dealer books it from there. Anyway, he also has a website. It's called stromoto.com. Now, we've got some serious rock riding photos. You've got to see these that Sean has sent us. We put those in the show notes for this episode on our website at adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about 
wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course, you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, if you're not supporting the show already, it is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. Don't sit back and wait for everybody else to do it because, uh, quite honestly, it doesn't happen. There, there's a very small percentage of listeners that, that actually support the show. We'd like you to be one of them. Anyway, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. And by the way, at our website, there's a whole bunch more there to see. Every episode that we do has show notes. If you haven't seen the show notes, you really should drop by and look. Often there's links in there and there's photographs and, and different things from each episode that we do. Some, some added things for you that may connect you further with the people that we have on as well as maybe give you some graphic illustrations of the things that we've talked about so drop by the website have a look around the other thing you're going to find on the website is our other show that we do monthly called ARR Raw and that is a monthly roundtable talk it's very popular um, about uh, motorcycle travel and it's a lot of fun so anyway drop by our website adventureriderradio.com otherwise it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can Um, my name is Jim Martin thank you very much for listening and I'll talk to you next week This is Harold Cecil from Giant Loop, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 